And I think that's why you're seeing more engagement right now is that for folks who where um, government policy hasn't directly impacted them, um, that's no longer the case because of COVID-19. Everyone is impacted by COVID-19 and, and um, policies that come out of COVID-19 are going to be a testament to how we're really going to, um, you know, because 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 budgets are moral documents and it's all going to come from from how we budget and it's it's going to be a testament to our values and what i think the more people are coming together on these values that basic human rights are um necessary and needed for everyone i mean everyone should have the right to housing everyone should have the right to a living wage everyone should have a right to at least have these things to like start being a part of democracy so that they can participate and then give them the tools to create you know and then we can have differing policies but it, it can't start without leveling the playing field just a little bit more here and it it doesn't and and i don't believe in justices like the ones you know that have dictated the past couple hundreds of years of policy in this country i i don't i think their time is up i think that time is up and um it, it took a pandemic to really make a lot more people aware of it but i i hope that um the energy and the and the the demand for for better for more people that that's going to help everyone um that idea doesn't go away hello and welcome to food crush the on milwaukee podcast for people who eat and sequester at home during a pandemic <laughs> i am your co-host as always matt miller culture editor at on milwaukee.com and i'm joined as always by dining editor slash savant slash awesome person Lori frederick at on milwaukee.com how you doing Lori? Thanks, Matt. I'm doing pretty. I'm doing pretty well. That made me feel good because I've been feeling a little like I'm behind the eight ball on my. No, you're doing great Lori. lately. So, as as one who edits many of your articles and uh, knows how much you post, uh, you're doing great. Yeah. So thanks. Yeah. So, so, Props you to you. High you five too. through a video screen. High five. Yeah. The no sound. Silent. Yeah. Silent. High I, five. I did something. Uh, I did something new this weekend, Lori. I ate at a restaurant for the first time since all of this started. Outside. Like. It was so I went to Good City Brewing on the east side mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. on the east side of Milwaukee and they had a really good setup. Uh, we went there with the intention of doing either patio or rooftop seating mm-hmm. um, and both of those were full, which is a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, what they had done was if you've ever been to the east side uh, Good City Brewing is they have those garage doors on the front. And so they opened those up and we were seated right in front of one of those. So we were inside, but we were essentially out in the open. And Um, and properly distanced. Properly, yeah. The closest table to us was probably like 12 feet away. Um, So it felt, it it didn't feel normal because nothing feels normal these days. Uh, But it did feel safe which I think is an important thing. Like I didn't feel at risk. Um, Mm -hmm. So I got to say props to them for doing it right. And, uh, or seemingly doing it right. I mean, all the employees were wearing masks. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. people were wearing masks when they weren't eating or drinking. So it was, it was nice. It was nice to see. And it was nice to, it it, it felt good to be out in the world briefly. Well, Um, and that's a big, that's a big step on your part. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I'd make it a habit. I'd, I'd yeah. have a hard time 
going and eating out at restaurants all the time in terms of yeah. especially like I, I, I think patios feel pretty safe. Um, patios and, as, as and beer garden as situations. As long as they're done right. As long as they're done right. I've seen some where the tables are six feet apart, but the chairs are two feet. Yeah. Two, like, and at that like point. you know, technically, yeah. I've seen some where they're trying to cram too many people on and that's not cool at all. Yeah. How um, Have you had a lot of uh, dining out experiences yet, Lori? Or have you been kind of just sticking with the, the takeout? And- I... I have been doing a lot of carry out. Um, I yeah. did. I did also on Friday. However, I did eat at a restaurant for the first time. I did a preview, um, like a soft opening dinner at Indoors? Augie's. At Augie's, no, no, no. In fact, I explicitly okay. asked, you know, what the situation yeah, was. I'd and, have a hard time um, eating indoors in like an enclosed restaurant right now. That would yeah. feel, and I know, yeah. like, and this is nothing against restaurants who are trying to do it and like having people mask up mm-hmm. and like having the the glass dividers, but I just feel like I would feel uncomfortable, and it wouldn't feel it wouldn't feel like what you want to feel when you go dine out at a restaurant. It's like yeah. going to the movies, like movie theaters do doing everything they can to make it feel safe, but at the end of the day, you're still wearing a mask in a movie and feeling nowhere near the escape that you go to a movie for. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. No. And I've been, I've been really, really strict. Um, part of, part of it for me is that I don't feel that because people can be carriers, you know, and that could include myself. I mean, um, I've been tested once just as a precaution. Mm -hmm. Um, but like to me, it's like the safety of the workers, especially on a full service, even on a full service patio is like huge in my head, Mm -hmm. um, because these are the people who are coming in contact with people over and over and over again. Um, yeah. So, so the risk to workers has been really high on my mind because the industry is has been <laughs> has been a friend sure. to me and given yeah, me a career. Absolutely. So, and well, and you, um, you've, yeah, we've seen. So in, a, some, in some cases, it's less about me and just more about the people around me. Um, for sure, and yeah. keeping them safe. Yeah, it was so. Yeah, it was it was nice to feel normal, but I think carry out is still the best way yeah, to go. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm balancing right now doing how do I best do my job while also respecting safety. Yeah, because so, I, I ran that's into not, that. Not, yeah. a, not an easy one some days. I ran but. into that last week. There was uh, the Fox Bay Cinema Grill announced on Facebook. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, we're really struggling right now. If you can come in for a movie or carry out, mm-hmm. we would really appreciate that to help us you know, get to the other mm-hmm. side of this. And if we were in regular times, I would have been like, yes, everyone, go see a movie at the Fox Bay. But mm-hmm. obviously telling people to see a movie right now is a risky thing yeah, to tell people to do. Um, thankfully, they're also doing curbside and carry out because it is a dinner theater. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully a lot of people supported them in that way as well. But it just felt so helpless to be like, I really want to tell people to help you out, but I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. all of a sudden a bunch of people catch COVID and it's linked to your theater, well, that's just going to make things worse. So right. um, I'm glad to see that they had a better week. Uh, I hope that it was a... And again, they're doing everything right. They're making people wear masks. They're they're keeping people distanced. But it's just there's no way to do things perfectly safe right now. It's, it's, a, right. it's a totally un... It's such an untenable situation right now. And it's only getting more so. Yeah. 
Um, so since we're starting off on such a lighthearted note, just tons of giggles here on the Food Crush podcast. <laughs> All the giggles, right. Yeah, with, su- with such a fun opening, uh, we do have a guest who has been very politely listening to us ramble about our various uh, dining in and out experiences. Yes. Lori. Introduce our guest. But, but it's also someone who has everything to do um, with the dining out experiences um, in her own way. So um, I'm excited today because we are we are talking with um, someone from Madison this week. Um, it's Ooh. Francesca Hong, who is the co-owner of Morris Ramen. Um, great, great ramen restaurant in Madison, and also Wisconsin State Assembly Assembly candidate. Um, so, oh snap, food crush, more like politics crush. So, yeah, no. Um, and hey, Francesca, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. I am stoked to talk to you both today. You're I'm our, really you're excited. Our first, uh, yeah, you're our first political guest on the show, so this is very <laughs> exciting. Well. Well, the first overtly political guest. Really overtly, we, we've had political <laughs> conversations there's on the show. I was going to say, there's a lot of crossover in food and politics. Yes. I think they're both inherently connected. So I hope there Definitely. was some political content. Yes, cool. yes, oh, yeah. there has been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in between yes. me trying to drag people into talking about movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so j- I just want to back up, you know, for some people, um, and, and get some background from you because, you mm-hmm. know, you've been, you've been in the restaurant industry for, for quite a while. Um, and, and I think, well, and I myself, I don't think I know, like, what drew you to, to food, to the profession? Um, how did, you know, how did you end up where you are? And you can go so, f- as far back as you want. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, food is definitely a, a central part of, of my family's, like, most fondest memories. Um, I never really thought of it as a career until... Um, I worked in my first restaurant. I was a hostess at a small, like, Korean fusion restaurant, um, back when I was 15 years old and I was a hostess and I kind of, that's where I first saw the inner workings of a restaurant. Um, and then I started cooking more at home and, um, my first job in college, um, to help pay for school was in a restaurant. Again, I was a server and I felt like it was one of the first places where, um, I kind of found a voice like I found this way to, you know, I had to sell food to people. So I was developing a voice Mm -hmm. there. Um, And then I also realized that I was becoming a part of a a community. um, And it's I think the restaurant was the first place I really felt this sense of community, this sense of solidarity with the other restaurant workers, the way they kind of embraced me as like, you know, the young college kids. And there were quite a few kind of veteran servers and and cooks in the industry. Um, And one day there was uh, a guy that didn't show up to work on the salad line and I jumped on and I mean, it just, it just clicked. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd always kind of been a a leader in a sense that, you know, I was captain of my soccer team and I did um, other, you know, over like, uh, extracurriculars in high school and then was a bit of an overachiever but I got I got burnt out from that it didn't give me as much meaning as I thought and and for some reason cooking on the line just felt really good and I felt like I was um I don't know I love the energy I love the fact that we had to work together as a team um to to put out to put out food for folks and and the the 
the pressure of it, the stress of it was actually something that I connected with. <laughs> um, and so I think the restaurant, I think the industry was really, um, I mean, we just clicked. And so I ended up quitting school. Um, I was actually trying to go to school to be a uh, sports uh, anchor and, and journalist. I wanted to write about sports. Oh. I wanted to be Aaron well, Andrews well, or Cam Oliver. Famously high paying and very <laughs> stable these days. <laughs> I just, just yeah, just I like wanted to. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, 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 I left the University of Wisconsin and I started cooking full time for three, four different jobs, you know, 17, 18 hour days. I just immersed myself in, in cookbooks, started watching a lot of, of uh, cooking shows. Um, and the fact that I was going to be trained in a craft and, and paid for it was just, I mean, I, I, was like it th- th- all of that spoke to me and good thing um, that guy didn't I, show up for work that day that's, <laughs> that, that's a very fortuitous <laughs> bad employee there <laughs> there we go it's, I mean, because, you know, especially since I was serving, I was watching and it was an open kitchen. I was watching them build those salads all the time and then would like hear little bits about like, you know, make sure you toss it with your hands that you're that you're building it with some height, but you don't want to like overdress and, and, and be gentle with the greens. And it's a good dressing if, if you can coat each leaf with, you know, just because it's properly emulsified. Like I heard little bits and pieces and I'm always interested as a front of house. Um, but I mean, they're back at that restaurant I was working, there was still quite a, a, a bit of a divide between front and back of house and, and who was responsible mm-hmm. for doing what. So I, I always kept my distance from, from the kitchen folks, right? Yeah. So being able to jump on, I think, was also just um, another sense that like, oh, maybe I, I do belong here. And, and it, they were they were a very welcoming crew. So I was fortunate that that was the situation. But yeah, I uh, I was working at, um, you know, Tori Miller was opening Grays at the time. So I was on, I was part of the opening team there. Um, I was definitely seeking out chefs to learn from. So the fact that he he took on a rookie like me was, was I think, a testament to his character and, and wanting to give me a shot. I worked at Magnus, um, which is now uh, no longer there, uh, a sandwich shop and... Um, Whereas I was still at La Brioche for a little bit too. So I think, yeah, four different jobs, 17, 18 mm-hmm. hour days, but I loved it. And I, I didn't quite know why, but I didn't really care. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I felt really much a part of something. Um, and, and some of my, you know, dearest friends are the ones that I still, you know, worked my first restaurant jobs with. And so I, yeah, I, I continued to work my way up. I was part of the opening team at 43 North Restaurant and eventually, um, partly due to working out and partly due to, um, you know, them kind of burning through executive chefs. I took the realm, I took the helm and it was my first executive chef job. Um, and I was 23. Wow. And, and that's a big, that's a big role. I mean, yeah. the shift, the shift even from like sous chef to executive chef for mm-hmm. a lot of people. I mean, you know, it's like an are you ready sort of situation. Yeah. I mean, the sous chef I had at the time was a teacher at the, uh, 
uh, at the um, culinary school and he had much more experience than I had. But we, um, you know, really came together on the fact that we wanted the restaurant to work. We, we wanted it to survive and, and it was struggling at the time. And so we got to build kind of a new identity for the restaurant together. Um, it wasn't successful in the end, but I think the fact that I was the first one to really take on more of a community approach to how a to leading the kitchen, um, folks responded really well to that. And so uh, we, you know, I, I never wanted to take ownership over every dish. I didn't feel like I had the credentials yet to really, uh, you know, say this was my dish, my menu. I wanted to take the approach that this, everyone has a, has a hand and, and a role in, in creating a dish and, and building an identity for a restaurant. And they need to be mm-hmm. given um, credit and, and, uh, be shown the type of context we could be working in. Um, so from there, I uh, ended up getting completely burnt out and took a little hiatus in the real estate game in Madison, um, trying to, uh, I was leasing a par- high-end apartments in, in downtown Madison. That doesn't uh, sound uh, less stressful. <laughs> that, doesn't sound, that doesn't seem like a hiatus. <laughs> it was oh my yeah it was a it was a one year um what i what what did i call it like my um quarter life crisis moment um <laughs> there you go but and and then i i was just like i this is what am i doing what am i doing um so i went back to what i love i, I went back to line cooking mm-hmm. and i was line cooking at restaurant Muramoto here in madison and um it was great i i I worked at a couple other places, always stayed very connected with the community, the industry, and, um, you know, would, would give people advice here and there. And then um, we had an opportunity to open with uh, Shinji Muramoto, who uh, ran Restaurant Muramoto mm-hmm. and is the owner there, uh, to open up this ramen shop. And I said, well, I'm pregnant, so let's do it. <laughs> let's have a baby and open let's have a baby let's, and open a restaurant at the same babies, time. Right? This, um, entire, yeah. this whole story has yeah. been filled with more and more escalating stressful decisions. <laughs> <laughs> just like um, I wanted a break, so I got into real estate. And yeah, then I was, you know, had a baby on the way, so I decided to have like a building baby, yes. right, <laughs> with a family yeah. of twenty employees. And so, yeah, our family grew by twenty in twenty sixteen. Yeah. Um, but yeah. twenty sixteen was also a a bit of a, a crisis point um, in uh, what happened in our country. And so, right. after opening the restaurant and, and operating for about six months, we, um. Right, yeah. So we were operating for six months, and I got together with some of my colleagues in town, and and we've had women in the industry who have been working behind the scenes or, or working with more, um, you know, media club than others for forever. Um, and and I realized there were more leaders um, who who needed more of a platform than than just what their businesses could give them, mm-hmm. and we really felt like it was time for us to organize and and. Um, be active in the community um, after uh, the 2016 election. So we formed a culinary ladies collective. Yeah. And, that's and it, it does remember. seem like, I don't want to say that there were positives from what happened in 2016, <laughs> but it does seem like there was kind of a, the, the lackadaisicalness that you saw with some people pre 
November 2015 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or it 2016. Went away. Yeah, yeah that, that kind of yes. like, I remember reading the stories like the night of of people voting for Donald Trump just because they were like, ah, who cares? Like, it's going to be a lark. Who cares? And then it just felt like the next day everyone was like, oh, we can't take anything for granted anymore. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like there was a lot more, you mm-hmm. know, people getting much more involved politically and people, you know, stepping forward and it's it's that there's there's an SNL there's the whole SNL bit of like all these female uh the senators and house of representatives people like and Donald Trump trying to take credit for them because it's like oh well because I'm here look at all the women who are now involved in politics it's just like you don't get to take credit for this like we're here right. by, we're here in spite of you not because of you <laughs> yeah exactly well, and all, and all the organizations and and um movements that have have cropped up. Well, he can yeah. he can take credit for all of them, but yeah, you know, he, not yeah. in the way he probably would like to. <laughs> so, and well, and, and I remember when this Exhausted started. Head shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I remember when this started like and you started the CLC or the Culinary Ladies Collective with with two other Yes. Like area uh, colleagues. Yes. Um and I remember feeling it as I kind of trickled down to Milwaukee and I had, you know, a number of female friends in the industry or acquaintances who were like, Oh yeah, we're gonna, you know, try to get involved in this. And I'm just like it was it was cool to me how quickly the information moved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from place to place. I mean the industry I would say the industry even nationally is relatively small. Um, yeah. For as many people as it employs, um, but you guys really did do a good job of, you know, getting people. How many people sort of really were actively involved in that, and and has that continued to to kind of yeah be so, a thing? Yeah, so we, um, I would say, when we started doing our meetings, it was really more of a, a networking space, a space for folks to share their stories, their concerns, and and try to feel like what can we do to um, really uh, amplify the the causes and the missions because none of us really had the the time to do it all, right? Like we wish we could organize bigger fundraisers and things, but we knew that there was really great work being done in the community and we just wanted Mm -hmm. to come together to support it. So um, I would say our meetings range from anywhere from 12 to 13 folks to 30. Um, Our Facebook group and our email list is is over 94 members. Um, We've got uh, women and and, um, uh, non-binary folks who... uh, live in um, Milwaukee, Viroqua, mm-hmm. um, Fort Atkinson. Um, so, so you know, from different parts of the state. And I think we are, our couple of fundraisers for Planned Parenthood have raised over $75,000 um, over the past couple of years for, for them. And um, we've done other smaller uh, fundraisers and, and networking events for, um, the Rape Crisis Center here, Domestic Abuse Intervention Services, and um, we actually participated in, um, we had a couple of folks bring up uh, baked goods for the um, fundraiser over, the church fundraiser that um, Lisa and, uh, oh, oh that, yeah, the, the, um, the uh, non, the non clever name. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I can see the graphic, and, and I can't. Yes. I can't. I, I feel great. I don't like, know what this is, so I'm the only one here who's not like racking my brain. So, so, yeah. so, so Lisa, Lisa from Good Kind, yeah, a few people here in Milwaukee yeah. arranged for a bake sale. It was kind of like a non-traditional bake yeah. sale slash celebration, and it was like the serpent. 
Yeah. Oh, oh I, yes. I'm it was. It was. It was name. a serpent name. Yes. But yeah. but basically, we're realizing that you know our our um, kind of small coalition building had had linked and and connected us with with artists. Like that event included mm-hmm. selling arts as well. And and we're realizing here in Madison that there are um, a lot of people in the arts community that either cross over with folks in the service industry, or we mm-hmm. realized that we we had some more coalition building opportunities that we could do together. So. Um, Yes, as, as unfortunate as the 2016 election was, I think what it, it brought out was that we, we could no longer be complacent and, and that um, it, the, there was a responsibility for mm-hmm. those in the food mm-hmm. industry to, to share our resources, whether that be our talents um, or financial resources um, or just organizing resources to help uh, other causes that we really believed in. Um, and and I would say that post COVID, we're seeing another round of this, um, yeah, and yeah. and and really a, a a need to share resources with one another, mm-hmm. but also um, just having the network there to talk about, you know, to air grievances, to talk about our fears, to know that you know we're not really alone in dealing with this, um, even though we've been left alone due to lack of government action to fend for ourselves. Yeah, I, I'd love to ask about, right. you know, obviously you have the, the, the restaurant. How has that been faring during this last five to six months now? Yeah. Cause, yeah, because you were initially, you were closed for quite right. some time. So we closed right. the day before Governor Evers' Safer at Home order. So mid-March-ish, um, I believe mm-hmm. that was. 17th. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. March. We closed on the 17th and uh, focused solely on keeping our employees paid through the rest of March in full and then figuring out how to keep them play- paid, how to make sure they were able to access unemployment benefits, which the way our, the state's UI system is designed, uh, I mean, employers have to work alongside their employees because it's so easy for them to be denied claims um, with, with how it's been dismantled and the lack of updates to the system. So that was that was the focus when we first closed and the community really did come together in, in helping us with donations and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that we could we could keep our folks paid. Um, but I also knew that we needed more, that this this was not feasible or sustainable for us to just ask for donations from the community to help us with payroll. Um, so you know, other, uh, other industry leaders and I, um, fr- whether it was from the Madison area chefs network, you know, I was on the phone with Dan Jacobs, the inner, uh, independent, um, restaurant coalition was forming. We were all just trying to fire at all cylinders, right. To, to keep our businesses alive, but also figure out how we could get through to government, um, elected officials, um, and, and what we needed to do to help really keep ourselves going during this. And so Morris, um, you know, we were very fortunate to receive a PPP loan. And once I got that loan, I kind of had this strange reckoning mm-hmm. of, of are we essential? Like, are our restaurants essential right now? Is my restaurant essential right now? I mean, it, what does it mean to just open and, and, and how, um, because I don't think that's enough right now to, to be open. And I, I don't know if this seems sustainable. Um, so mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was having a really tough time um, and and so were my business partners and we decided to open up as a community kitchen. I was definitely inspired by the work that Caitlin at um, Tandem was doing. Mm -hmm. I got on the phone with her to be like, how does this work? Like, how are y'all doing this? Um, Mm -hmm. And we 
because we realized we couldn't bring all of our staff back with just opening up for carryout. There would not be enough work. And, right. and so we opened up as a community kitchen and started making meals for local mutual aid groups. Um, we started feeding the frontline protesters um, and, and folks in the rebellion and, and the movement and um, realizing that there's already been a network of, of folks sharing resources and trying to figure out how to help people um you know, get basic needs met um, because that's what it was coming down to. I mean, you already had a lot of vulnerable folks in the community who who um, couldn't get unemployment, couldn't were you know right. at risk of losing housing, um, had food insecurity. So we just asked how we could help, and and so we turned into this community kitchen to make meals for folks, and then uh, opened up for carry out as well. Um, the summertime is our slow season. We are a ramen shop, so um, yes. we kind so of hit warm, the comforting uh, soup sort of. Yeah, it was like a compounding yeah. negative. Yeah. yeah, all of the soup, compounding negatives, right? <laughs> yeah, especially yes. hot, spicy soup that's drowning in pork fat. Um, <laughs> yes. So. I mean, and, and we really, we, um, but I mean, our community, our, our community showed up. We have very loyal customers who wanted to support us in other ways. So, um, you know, we're working, uh, in tandem with, uh, carry out as well as community kitchen. And we've been able to retain 75% of our workers. We've now converged our front of house and, and back of house into one house. Um, we are now being paid, uh, uh, in a small amount for the meals that we are, we are making through this program called cook it forward. And, um, the PPP funds are running low and we're waiting for another stimulus package. Um, and we're still just working on right. every day, trying to be more essential for our community, both, um, as a restaurant and providing that sense of familiarity and, uh, kind of regular normalcy, um, with our food that, you know, our menu hasn't changed since we opened, but we're also trying to reach folks and, and bring awareness to folks that, um, our community, uh, needs everyone to, uh, kind of be reckoning as to what, how, what our role is in, 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 uh, in addressing a lot of the problems right now and that we can't stand yeah. by. And, and as a restaurant, yeah. we won't stand by. And I'm seeing so many other businesses really take to their platforms and their voices and, and amplify that. Yes, we're, we're trying to survive, but we're also um, really trying to bring awareness to uh, some of the social and political issues that are going on. Mm -hmm. And, and that brings me a lot of hope. And that's why I know that Morris can for, as long as we can, we'll, we'll continue to be a place that um, nourishes and brings you a sense of comfort and normalcy, but also wants to bring awareness to to these yeah. issues that, that yeah. we can't really ignore anymore um, that are keeping people from being fed. And mm -hmm. Kind of early on in this, I remember, you know, someone was, was lamenting the fact that, um, you know, I mean, 9-11 was one of the the tragedies in the past, I guess that, that prompted like action and, you know, people, we really saw people coming together as a nation over that. And someone was lamenting the other day, like, like we're not seeing that, um, in terms of just individuals, like really rallying in that same way and caring about one another in the way that we would like to, 
you know, yeah. see them during, well, during an this important pandemic. Remi- important reminder, after 9-11, we got real racist after 9-11 too. So let's not, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to pretend like after 9-11, everything was like. <laughs> oh no. And, and, and without, without all of that, but just, you know, people, this, there was a sense of kindness that, that ran in tandem with some, some other issues. And my reminder to them was, yeah, but I think we're making way more headway this time around with actually concentrating on things that are making a difference in terms of injustices. You know, this has unearthed so many, um, I, I kind of brought things to the head that people have decided are really, really important to fight for. Um, and that, that was, that's been the benefit in my mind, yeah. you know, even if we see people who are like really politically divided over, you know, silly things like mask wearing and, and these other things, I think there's a lot of really important work going on. Well, and I think also if we look at the actual numbers on a lot of this stuff, uh, I know uh, a lot of people on in the conservative side like to call themselves the silent majority, but the reality is they are a very loud minority. Mm-hmm. The The fact of the matter is that mm-hmm. the people who refuse to wear masks are a very loud and crude minority mm-hmm. of this country. Okay. I think yeah, I think around 80% of the country, the last I saw, is very pro-masks mm-hmm. and very pro-mask mandates. This is not a controversial opinion. Most of the country is fine with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with, you know, Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I think the reason why you're seeing the president's numbers continue to go down is because he's underestimated that most of the country is on the side of protesters right. at this point. And they are seeing the reality of the situation. So, yeah, it's it's been nice to see that kind of develop to this point where, you know, the majority of the country is on what we would say is is the right side of history here, of wearing masks, of wanting to support, you know, correcting these injustices and things of that nature. Um, it's just a very what annoys me so much is that we, we're allowing ourselves to get sidetracked by this very loud 15% or so who are just egregiously going out of their way to make life harder for all of us. And when that part of that 15% is, you know, one of the most powerful men in the world, it doesn't help. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. 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 That, that, that slows everything. Which is why you can't disregard it completely. And why I think it's such a big, it's such a big deal for me. It's like, it's like, well, as long as the, the loud minority has, you know, the backing of big people and big yeah. money, you know, that's still a problem. <laughs> um, exactly. At least it's a problem for me, like, um, when I think about it. So, so I'm, inter- but, I'm interested, mm-hmm. Francesca, when was the moment when you were like, I want to get into politics? <laughs> like, I want to... I want to like restaurants. Stressful. What can I? What can I do next? Political politics. Like, what was kind of that moment for you where it was like, I need to get involved here? Yeah. Um, and yeah, take what kind that of next step, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So early um, in 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 closing and speaking to other leaders um, of the industry, you know, we really did come together to 
get meetings in with our elected officials and and really wanted to get our voices heard. And and there were letters sent out to um, the Evers administration and um, senators and city and county officials. Um, it was going on, I know, in Milwaukee as well. Um, and there was very little that they were able to provide. And, and we knew that was the reality, but I still felt like Right now, um, we have this opportunity to not only campaign um, for restaurants, um, but campaign for more people. It's it's mm-hmm. the the workers. We had an opportunity to to really amplify this message that um, it's it's essential workers. It's it's working class that you know part of that I've been part of this progressive movement, but. I think still haven't gained the traction that that we need to gain, and and for me the call to action was really um, the lack of action from officials, from elected officials. And yeah, because we've really seen like like throughout all of this, there have been you know I mean essentially bailouts, you know, for yeah. corporations with big money. I mean, and yeah. you know, money going to you know, I mean, everything from like. I mean, everything here from like local law firms getting, yeah. you know, a couple million dollars to help them out through these hard times. And like, we're seeing so, so little of that for yeah. actual small businesses, which include restaurants, you know, mm-hmm. and we're, and we're talking well, we're about seeing little, we're, we're seeing nothing in Wisconsin, yeah. period. Well, well very I mean, little. I mean, it's been 100 argue, days like, that, PPP, that legislature have done yeah. something here. Yeah, well, I believe it's 108 or nine days. I mean, Dan mm-hmm. Schaefer at Recombopulation Area could tell you much better. Everyone should yeah. definitely be following um, Dan's work uh, throughout all of this has been incredible um, and, and so informative really um, and and really just facts, just just hard facts on, on what the reality yep. of, of our state legislature has and, and their lack of action has has meant for this state and, and what mm-hmm. it's done for small businesses. And and we're talking about independent small businesses, micro businesses, mom and pop shops mm-hmm. who have been um, left out of the conversation and and been told that, you know, it's it's the Federal CARES Act. It's it's money that we can only allocate to certain places and it's 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 not acceptable anymore and no. and we need new leadership we need different type of leadership and and we need the type of leadership that gets shit done um and and who better <laughs> than someone from a service industry perspective who have you know i've seen the worst behavior in restaurants i've seen the worst of humanity i at the time and and we still find ways to not only accommodate but 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 um, you know, bring people to the table, and and mm-hmm. I want to do that in a way that is in, inclusive of and and not just performative with that inclusivity. And the type of leadership I am to bring to the state legislature is is one that not only amplifies a mess- message, but refuses to to speak for others and and to bring those people to the table to speak for themselves. Um, I think that. Uh, for me also it was it was hearing when i first announced that i would be running hearing from so many people uh, both in the restaurant and service industry and and across the community who had not been engaged who had not ever voted in a primary who didn't know what a state representative had does um that you know we as a state i feel like we've been kind of 
for the past 10 years of what the Walker administration did to our state, we, we've been, you know, slowly putting up white flags or like just feeling defeated um, and, and losing some momentum. And, and there is, there is new energy and new hope from, from a growing electorate that has just not had a voice before. And it's, and it's a, it's a new working class and it's, it's folks who, um, who believe that change can happen and they're inspired by the protester. They're, by the mm-hmm. protesters they're they're no longer going to stand by the injustices and and that was also my call to action and i think that um knowing that we have this opportunity to expand our electorate um knowing that we can really bring strong progressive voices to the legislature that are going to constantly challenge and agitate and disrupt the way things have been done and saying this cannot happen anymore and, and to use COVID as, as not necessarily the leverage to say these are the injustices that are now amplified and that you have to answer to. Um, the people demand it and, and the people deserve better. Um, yeah. so it's, I don't know. It's, it's just folks in the service industry. We're relentless. We're feisty. We've seen some <laughs> shit, you know, yes. and, yes. and yeah. we, we, Absolutely. we, we, and we want to, I, and, but we want industry, to be, we're compassionate. We're in the end, we're right. compassionate leaders, mm-hmm. um, and who recognize, who recognize, um, and, and are humbled to the fact that there are so many other leaders in our communities who just need better resources and, mm-hmm. and need better people to, um, amplify what the work that they've been doing, whether it's, you know, the, what I was seeing happening with, with organizations in Madison, with, with Freedom Inc. and Urban Triage and, and, um, you know, folks who have been doing this work to better their community because they haven't been given those resources. Imagine what they could do when we bring their expertise and their talents to the table. And, and it's, it's about a representation of new voices and new leaders. Um, and and change happens when you bring an outsider yes. in and i think yes service industry you know there's there's a little bit of that attitude that we've had um that you kind of work with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder but you work in the industry because maybe you don't quite fit anywhere else and i think it's yeah. time to kind of change that yeah well and and i personally I, I mean i think this is amazing to watch and and part of why i really wanted to enter into this dialogue is because people i mean people don't realize um I don't know the the energy and um well I think I think people maybe are realizing right now like the resiliency um and the generosity and the incredible energy kind of in the restaurant industry. I mean, this these are people who do not shrivel up and die <laughs> when you say, okay, this is hard, you know. Um and, you know, and, and I've heard some accusations like, oh, you're whining about not making money or this or that. And, you know, the reality is, is the restaurant industry has been working on a somewhat of a broken model. Like people don't mm-hmm. pay what they need to pay, you know, for, I mean, we're not paying the real cost of food. And that is something that the industry has taken the brunt of. And, um, but, but nonetheless, like people have done this, like been supporting themselves and bazillions, like a, a huge, pr- number of workers across the U.S. for years and years. Like, you know, the, yeah. I mean, yeah. the model is like any corporate um, 
any corp, any person in corporate America is going to look and go, Oh, a restaurant? Like that's a terrible investment. Like, you know, there's no money being made. Like the, the margins are so slim, you know, but you have this, this group of people who are like, we're, we're passionate for this. This is, yeah. and in some ways, I think that's always been a statement to the sort of people who are attracted to the industry. You know, it's not, um, it's not just your average band of, you know, it's not lazy people for one, you know, it's not indifferent people, you know, it's people, it's people who are, you know, getting something done. And so it's fascinating to me that now this is being channeled into, you know, kind of a really different direction. I mean, you always have the generosity, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we, well, it's interesting. We, we, we see what happens with like AOC in New York city where it's like, Half of the attacks against her are like, oh, she's just a bartender. Ugh. Like, and Ugh. I just don't understand this idea where it's just like, oh, these like rich people, these like professional politicians who've only known like fancy colleges and, you know, life as like life in like courtrooms and, you know, shit like that. These, these people, they get America. Whereas people who interact with people every day across a full mm-hmm. spectrum of the world, um, <laughs> and, and have probably had to struggle themselves to make a living while also talking with other people struggling to make a living. Those people, well, what would they know about America? Like, it's so condescending well, to the agree. working class to be like, this fellow working class person doesn't understand you. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just, it's it's such a hypocrisy. Yeah. And I think something to remember is that the restaurant industry is reckoning too. I mean, there needs to be serious structural changes if we're going to be sustainable and if we're going to truly be places where like you know this this third sector area where where folks uh convene and and share ideas and and it may not look like that but we have an opportunity to rebuild and really reevaluate and i think that is the mindset you need to go into office with um rebuilding and re- reevaluating how things have been done and and reckoning with the fact that what's been going on is has not been okay um, you know, in, in the industry there, you know, I think I've had a lot of conversations with, with other restaurant owners, just, you know, as I mentioned before, talking about our responsibility to use our platforms to, um, amplify the need to, um, f- to fix some of the injustices. And it, and it starts with, um, we ourselves, you know, getting rid of tipping and being very transparent about our labor practices and the fact that there has been an element of anti-blackness in our industries for right. for quite some time and 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 the subsectors of our industry and and in the wine world in the in the liquor world in in the craft Absolutely. cocktail world like all of us really need to be working uh together collectively and and actively bringing new voices to decision-making tables um, to talk mm-hmm. about the fact that like we have a chance here to really rebuild and, and restructure, um, come out better from this. There is an opportunity to do that. It's a small window right now. And I know it's incredibly distracting and, and not distracting. It's incredibly difficult to have these conversations, especially when you're just trying to survive. But mm-hmm. I think if we bring you know, these types of hard questions about why, why 
don't we have more diversity in our spaces? Why are we really only adhering to the type of trends that seem to, uh, you know, engage more white people than people of color? Right. Like, what what do we need to do? And I think it, it starts with more representation and voices and decision-making power. And mm-hmm. so we need to talk about to government elections government officials about getting more Black-owned businesses and Black-owned restaurants and making yes. sure they have a space to, to to do that. And I think, you know, it's... We have this opportunity to restructure, and and those who choose to do that, I believe, will have more success. Um, that, that, you know, we... We all will do better once more Black, yeah. Indigenous, and people of color do people do better, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, well, and, and the restaurant industry is a microcosm mm-hmm. of, the, of the world around us. Like, exactly. It is a, a pretty good representation of, of how the world is. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's diversity in terms of, like, who works in the industry and who, right. you know, who serves food and, and who does... Yeah, um, and who's out in the fields get doing, you know, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. helping to bring us the, the raw goods to create these dishes. Right. I mean, who's who's the, the, the ag workers? I mean, all of the restaurant and the hospitality industry is, is really just, um, you're exactly right, it's a microcosm and it's it's restructuring this industry is, is going to be a testament to if we can restructure um, the rest of the country too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and, and the more I've been looking at it, the more I'm like, wow, it, you know, that's really perfect. And, and if it doesn't, doesn't start somewhere like the restaurant industry, you know, which has been, you know, it's, I have a great love for the industry as, you know, as you probably do just by nature of being in it. Um, but, you know, there's definitely issues. I mean, we, we ran into issues during the Me Too movement, you know, with, you know, sexual harassment and infringements like that. There's, there's plenty of, you know, racist practices in terms of hiring. Um, mm-hmm. and, and those are the sorts of things that are going on everywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are also, you know, industry workers, like I said, I mean, scrappy and, you know, in general, I would like to think, you know, progressive and and able to do things, you know, able to get together and do things in ways that some other industries and groups have not and really I think, been able to do. Yeah, so why, and from why a government, not start here? Exactly. And I and I believe that the government's role is to enable coalition building and, and to give yes. people the their own um to to give them the power to be agents of their own change and, and to be, to feel safe and feel happy. And, and, you know, restaurants, the good restaurants, they had that mindset too, right? They wanted to bring people together to share ideas, to um, nourish them and then send them back out into the world happier and to do better. Um, That, that should be the role of our government too. And, and the mindset Mm -hmm. that they have. And, and the more people you bring into those roles who have that mindset too, I think is only going to strengthen our democracy. And, you know, some of this might feel kind of a, a little bit maybe far-fetched and metaphor folks, but I think right now this, the simple ideas of, of, you know, expanding our democracy, expanding the representation and voices, um, doing that it is going to make the world better and 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 i i just we all need to remember that we all need to remember that that's possible and um and for restaurants you know those those who are reckoning and those who are reevaluating their practices and realizing that to to be 
you know, more egalitarian places is going to benefit your business in the end. It really will. Um, cause, cause people I think are, are wanting to, to trust and show up for restaurants again. And, and, um, they want to feel good about supporting them. Definitely, definitely. Mm -hmm. And well, and, and to, you know, I think we've been getting at it in small ways, but like your campaign platform, you know, I mean, goes far beyond, (laughs) you know, the things that are immediately happening to restaurants. I mean, you're, you're focusing on what labor rights intertwine, um, you know, recovery plans for COVID, um, you know, rehabilitation type programs, you know, but there's also things in there like combating mass incarceration, you know, building safety nets for small businesses. I mean, all of these things intersect mm-hmm. the industry you're in, in, yeah. in some interesting ways, but also speak to the much larger world, which, um, well, I think it was eye opening for me because all of a sudden, as I'm as I'm looking and kind of following your campaign and what you're saying, like this has always been kind of the case, you know. Industry people know a lot <laughs> about these things because <laughs> because because they have to keep up, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. part of the the surviving or the survival of the industry has been about like being yeah. in touch. I mean, with and the it's world. a testament to the community that needs. I'm in. It's it's so, the bluest district. Um, it's the yeah, most so, active so, district. Yeah, it's. it's 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 interesting you um because I forget where I read this topic uh, this thought but someone was like people talk about you know poor people and it's like oh they're not responsible with money it's just like no if you know poor people and working class people they know everything going on with the economy because they have to yeah. from day, like day in day out they need to know what things are going on mm-hmm. with the economy so this idea that oh they're, they're, we're, we're helping out these bees people who are irresponsible that's the opposite of true these are people who are wildly responsible and aware of the things that are needing to be fixed in this country. That's the that kind of going back to that service industry people. These are people who are, you know, generally speaking, working lots of jobs, tons of hours just to, you know, skate by and hopefully have a little bit of money for for one hour of joy, maybe, each 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 week. Um so yeah, the, the, having someone who knows these industries, who knows these economic hardships, who knows, you know, how hard things can be and where things need to be changed. I, I, I don't see what the problem, why, why that would be a bad thing to have more, more of that in, in our politics as opposed to more lawyers and more professional politicians. Agreed. I think um, giving people the credit um, <clears throat> to bring in the context when it comes to policies that are going to directly impact their lives. And I think that's why you're seeing more engagement right now is that for folks who where um, government policy hasn't directly impacted them, um, that's no longer the case because of COVID-19. Everyone is impacted by COVID-19 and, and um, policies that come out of COVID-19 are going to be a testament to how we're really going to, um, you know, because, because, because budgets are moral documents and it's all going to come from, from how we budget. And it's, it's going to be a testament to our values and what I think the more people are coming together on these values that basic human rights are um, necessary and needed for everyone. I mean, everyone should have 
the right to housing. Everyone should have the right to a living wage. Everyone should have mm-hmm. a right to at least have these things to like start being a part of democracy, so that they can participate and then give them the tools to create. You know, and then we can have differing policies. But it, it mm-hmm. can't start without leveling the playing field just a little bit more here. And it it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And and I don't believe in justices like the ones. You know that have dictated the past couple hundreds of years of policy in this country. I, I don't. I think their time is up. I think that time is mm-hmm. up. And um, it, it took a pandemic to really make a lot more people aware of it. But I, I hope that um, the energy and the and the the demand for for better for more people that that's going to help everyone. Um, that idea doesn't go away. Yeah, it's yeah. that that famous phrase where the the pandemic didn't break America; it showed what was always already broken. Already broken. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm interested because I think we all agree that uh, we're not super pumped. Uh, I don't think it's a controversial topic of the legislature not doing anything for a hundred or so days is not good. <laughs> I, I'd love to ask you what you think about Governor Evers and how he's been handling uh, the pandemic. How, as someone running in politics right now, how have you? What what's what are your kind of feelings on how he's handled the last several months? Yeah, so I think his administration um could have been more aggressive, but I understand that it's difficult to create more mandates and executive orders when your powers are constantly uh um pushed and and challenged Mm -hmm. by both the Supreme Court and a Republican majority legislature. Um I think he did I, do I think he did everything that he could? No. Um, do I think some of his policy was built on the fact that he knew that he would be getting challenges from the Supreme Court and this legislature? Yes. Um, I think that what has happened, though, is that there was not enough of an information campaign about the fact that there is no economic recovery. There is no economic rebuilding. The economy is permanently damaged due to a complete failure in federal leadership that has now put the state in danger from ever recovering again. I think the messaging needed to be much, uh, much more blunt. Um, I think it needed to be told in a way that you know, a lot of the strategy that the GOP will use um, is they'll they kind of always find a way to work in their favor. So like the hundred some days of inaction, it doesn't matter because they showed up when the statues fell. Um, they're going to show up when they see that Governor Evers approval ratings are going down. That, that's that been their strategy, right? So mm-hmm. so folks in the state need to recognize that it, it is not about left or right. This is about top-down economy, and that if the economy is going to be the forefront of the conversation, then the conversation the Evers administration should have been pushing is that there is no economy right now. This, the amount of jobless claims, the amount of folks losing health care, um, the repercussions that what is the lack of what's happening now is only prolonging what's going to be problems for the future. Um, the fact that, you know, we have not prioritized public health or even talked more about public health infrastructure, you know, how we're going to get vaccine out to folks. Um, you know, there's Harvard um, studies and, and folks on the East Coast saying, you know, our, our public health infrastructure are like dirt roads and buggies and carriages. And, and we need interstates and we need to be able to get this information out to people faster on how to access vaccines and, and how to... Um, uh, 
access uh, information about um, public health guidelines, and all of that is is cannot be streamlined without leadership. And so I wish there was a stronger message from his administration if he had they known, um, you know, that there would be such inaction from the GOP that, okay, then what can we champion? What can we campaign? What can we get out to the people so that there is less of a of, of, of political discourse that's divisive? And what can mm-hmm. we unite over? And we need to unite over combating this virus. Um, and that's how kind of wear a damn mask you know, I started amplifying that more because it you you have mm-hmm. to you have to build traction with that. And you you so much of the next couple of months is going to be about communication infrastructure. It's going to be talking about um, public education and and what's going to happen with with the lack of childcare and and what that is going to do to our workforce. And it's um it's it's in, it's very unfortunate that the country is in the state that it is because it did not have to be this way right right absolutely absolutely so yeah. so kind of how are you feeling about your about your place in this in this political world right now you know because we have so the assembly is um the the um ugh, why can i not think of this so the um the election is coming up Yes. On, on August 11th. Yes. And then, so, so that's the big one for you, I guess. Yes. Focusing the primary on is right big. Now. We the have. Primary, thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I just wish all the candidates who are in this race could, could run across the country. I mean, it is deep. It is like Bucks Bench deep. Like everyone has amazing. <laughs> Uh, amazingly qualified and, and we need all of their voices at the legislature. So it's, it's been, um, really just a learning, ex- a great learning experience watching the other candidates and, and campaigning alongside them. Um, I think we have a really, really good shot. I think that not only have we engaged new voters, we are engaging folks who, you know, started really feeling disengaged and disinterested and distrust, you know, just, just the sense of mistrust with, with government and, and kind of energizing that, um, and, and letting people know that their voice matters, that their opinion matters, that they matter. Um, mm-hmm. this, I've run a campaign on, on equity and care and, and people are like, that's, well, that's broad. That's weird. And I was like, well, that's no, crazy. we are in a that's crisis of connection. <laughs> Right? right. There is a crisis of right. connection here. We may be abundantly connected online, but it's, it's, it's through, it, like, it's all so short lived and there's just so much scrolling. Like, we need people to feel like they matter again and that, that their voice matters and, and how, what they're doing matters. And, and I think it's through time that communities are elevated and, and, um, that local government and, and county government have more resources to better listen to their communities. Um, and, and that needs to happen from a state level. And, and the state needs to be responsible for um, giving more power to local and county municipalities to, to better understand the resources that their very local communities need. Um, and I think that message is resonating with a lot of folks here. And um, they're ready for new leadership. They're ready for change. And they know that change happens when you bring an outsider in. Um, Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Trump is like the worst example of that. But look at all of the shit that he's dismantled and done. But but, but look at it because it very it very yeah. very um, effectively you know and and we need and and right now we need someone who's going to champion um, 
expanding our electorate across the state. You know, I'm already in conversations with, with um, you know, folks in your neighborhood and the 82nd. Ja- mm-hmm. Jacob Malinowski is, is working to flip the 82nd. I am, you know, trying to connect with as many um, uh, Democrats across the state who are running to flip seats and, and helping their campaigns. We need someone who is going to be able to reach people both as a small business owner, um, but also as a mom, as someone who cares, as someone who wants new equitable policies. And, and this is not, you know, this, this is not, this is what a lot of people in this state want. Um, and, and we just need to make sure that we can, can, we can, we can still fight how gerrymandered our state is. We, we can fight this. Um, and we need people to really, um, amplify the message that, that, um, we can fight this and I will fight this and I'm not used to working that nine to five, never was. Um, so if I got to work around the clock to get more Dems mm-hmm. elected and then start getting shit done in that legislature, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and so we need better people to connect with more people and we need better yeah. Democrats to be perfectly honest. We do. I, yeah. Um, and you we are. need people who are going to speak truth to power to that and, and not mm-hmm. be afraid to, um, yeah really challenge everyone to make to be better that the complacency yeah. has gone on for too long. Yeah. Well, and, and and I would argue, I mean, I think you know, you've kind of been seen as maybe a black horse candidate, you know, because it's so rare, especially in Madison, to see someone entering into a political race who for especially for a state level office, you know, who isn't already part of local government mm-hmm. or an advocacy agency or or something of that, you know, Ilk. Um, but I think, you know, I, I say, I, I say more of that. I mean, obviously, yes, you have to be informed to the, to the level as if you had a role in government, <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to be qualified on that front. But I, you know, I think that the transparency and the perspective that comes with not being embroiled, you know, in that it's kind of like, you know, being a, oh, just a regular, blue collar working man or woman in the world versus being in an ivory tower or, you know, up at the top of yeah. a corporate I think every building, politician you know, needs to work a dish station in a restaurant. Yeah. I, I think Absolutely. everybody in the world yes. just needs yeah. to work a dish yeah. station, you know, or be a yeah. server for a while because it, it puts you in touch with, with this humanity mm-hmm. and, and makes you, uh, it's just like, it's so hard to so hard to explain. I mean, you see you see rude people, you see great people, you see, you know, it's hard work, it's honest work, you know, but you see a lot of sides of everything and, and you really have to develop to be good at it. You have to develop a savvy with that face to face relationship building business. Um and so few people I feel like so few people have that right now. Um, you know, well, it's, this it's was, like building coalitions actually, just... every day. Yeah. It's interesting, Francesca, you said that thing about, you know, we need better Democrats as well. And uh, I think that's really the the tough thing right now with this upcoming election in November is that there's this feeling of, I don't think there's anyone out there stuck between deciding between Trump and Biden. I don't think that is, that is not the debate people are having in the world. People are having the debate between voting for Joe Biden or not voting. Because for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, Joe Biden Mm -hmm. is 
more politics. Is uh, yeah. De- yeah, he's better, but what is better? Better, is, I mean, it's uh, you know, the protests in Minnesota over George Floyd happened under the guise and watch of multiple Democratic officials. Mm-hmm. You know, Milwaukee has had its share of unrest under the eye of Democratic officials. This is not... It's it's not a one one party is definitely in my opinion uh, the biggest issue, but it's not like the other. It's the classic Lewis Black line of it's a party of no ideas and a party of bad ideas, um, and it's just a matter of hope, hopefully convincing people that there can be a version of the Democratic Party that is the party of ideas and the party of getting those things done, and it, it's encouraging to see a younger generation of politician kind of embracing that. Um, especially as someone who is a millennial and is repeatedly told that millennials should not get involved with politics. Never mind the fact that millennials are like 40 years old in some, in some metrics. Uh, I do like it when people are like, oh, these millennials. And it's just like, do you know how old we are now? Cause we've been able to vote for a very long time and many long of us, yes, many yes. of us I have think you're housing. Of the next you, generation, right? right? Right. Millennial is like the word hipster. It just is a stand-in for people I don't like, you know? Yeah. And I will say, you know, I got this question in one of my like endorsement forms, you know, who did you vote for in the in the Wisconsin the the spring primary? Um and I think right now it's important to look at congressional and Senate races across the country and who's running. And when, um, two years ago, when AOC and Ayanna Presley and Inelhan Omar, when, when those women won, like they definitely ignited, um, uh, an energy and, and, and I think more people felt this call to action to represent working class people and represent immigrants and represent, um, people of color and represent an America that really was not part of the larger conversation. And so regardless, I mean, everyone should vote and make sure Biden wins. Um, but he, I, he is aware that the Congress that comes in in November and Senate can look even bluer than the Congress that was two, two uh, years ago. And by bluer, I mean, um, not just more progressive, but you're going to have folks coming from, you know, uh, of, you know, democratic socialists. And, and I think this whole idea of preserving a shared humanity and providing basic rights for all human beings, like this is something that is going to be amplified. And, and I don't think Biden will have any choice, but to answer to those voices. And I think that all Democrats are going to be, yeah. And he'll be held to higher stand. All Democrats are going to be held to higher standards um, and, and forced to listen. And I, I do believe I, you know, I'm seeing more progressive candidates win out their primaries to over over more like established democrats whether that hap- um um and i think i think that we have to continue to use um this opportunity of of seeing how exacerbated our our unjust our existing injustices and and what that's done to get us here um to have more people on board never to go back to that yeah. yeah, it's like that. Well, Angela Davis said something about that, where she was like, "Joe Biden, I, I'm, I believe in voting for Joe Biden, not because he is a progressive and mm-hmm. because I think he's going to move things in direction, mm-hmm. but he can be 
pushed and mm-hmm. pressured. Like mm-hmm. that's what I always argue with people. It's just like, yeah. l- listen, mm-hmm. Donald Trump is not going to shift his opinion <laughs> for people. Like it's, he's this is not he is not a yeah. malleable person. No. Uh, Joe Biden, if, as we've seen over the course of his career, is someone who can be nudged in mm-hmm. the direction of hopefully better policies. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as he's gotten older and and. I mean, not that, not that you know, he will be easy to nudge, but he, at mm-hmm. least he's someone who can be nudged. Do you really think yeah. you're going to make progress with Donald Trump? Like that—that's how you have yeah. to view politics. You can't view it as this person is a savior. You have to mm-hmm. view it as no. who can no. I push to make things no. work for me? Exactly. And it's also the really, really important time to to remember that all of these races. And when it comes down to like the state races and the local, the city races, all of the people, excuse me, representing people at various levels are just as important, if not more important than who wins the presidency. Yeah. You know, I mean, Trump has been able to get away with some certain things as president, you know, and there's some big, but there's some things that, you know, he, he's, you know, not been able to do. And it's, it's largely because, you know, we need to pay attention on all levels. And I think the elections we forget about are the smaller ones. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about absolutely matter. Your DA, that's an elected position. You're the Mm -hmm. mayor, city council, who is in the, who is the alder person in your district? I mean, if you want to talk about defunding the the police, you want to talk, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, all of these races matter. And I think more and more people are recognizing that. And that brings me hope too. Um, seeing what's happening in Madison with, with building more transparency, um, uh, with our police departments and, and, I, these conversations are now more broadly accepted and, and, and people are talking about reevaluating the role of police and, and it's so important to pay attention to your local races, um, if you want some of these changes to start happening. Yeah. Yeah. So one more question for you, Francesca, because I think we're kind of, um, what does the future hold for you? Like whether you're elected, whether you're not elected, like have you done some thinking on this? Like obviously your trajectory changes a little bit. If you, if you get into the, onto the assembly, um, and are able to represent all the ideas that you've been, you know, um, talking about and promoting, you know, over, over, really over years, you know, because yeah. I think your, your platform comes from this place that started, you know, probably a decade ago. <laughs> yes. You know, if not, if not more. Um, but kind of like, what does this look like for you either way? You know, whether you're in that position or not. Yeah. Like, So I think um, next Wednesday morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm still going to be pitching Cook It Forward to the city. I'm going to be fighting for this initiative to help uplift restaurants and meet food insecurity uh, demands um, and to help food security uh, in, in our neighborhoods. I think regardless of what happens, um, I'm a mom first and I want my son to see me as a fighter. And so I'm going to keep fighting for restaurants. I'm going to keep fighting for recognition and representation of voices. If that means I have to go on other campaigns or, or, or do that locally here. Um, I'm going to keep projecting and amplifying this message of, of coming together over care and, and, um, really that, that care means struggling alongside your neighbors and recognizing their struggle. And I'm going to continue to build community. 
Um, and that can happen whether I have representative in front of my name or not. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll still be a mom. I'll still be a community <laughs> organizer. Yeah. And I'll still be um, a service industry worker, you know, mm -hmm. for as long as I can. Yeah. Well, and that's a good I, message. Like people yeah. can, people can totally join in on this and take that, you know, as inspiration. Like anybody can do this work. I mean, in terms of supporting this work. Yes. You know, not everybody is, is built to be the community organizer, but if you're not, you can still, you know, mm -hmm. leap on and there, there is a, there is a lane for you in some Absolutely. fashion or another. Absolutely. I just want to quick hop back to something you mentioned, and you've mentioned it before mm -hmm. too. You mentioned the Cook It Forward program, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I don't think we got uh, more details on that. So what is this oh. Cook It Forward program that you have yeah. been... <laughs> so Cook It Forward, I founded with um, my friends Josh uh, Berkson and Patrick Sweeney at Rona One Hospitality. They own uh, Lucille and Merchant here in Madison. And they were inspired by the community kitchen that we opened at Morris Ramen, and they wanted to be able to um, really cook that forward. We, we came together and realized there was a way to take inspiration from existing programs like World Central Kitchen, um, you know, what they were doing over in, in, in New York and San Francisco with, with having restaurants be paid to, to, uh, from buying meals from restaurants to then take to, um, uh, families who were food insecure. Um, and so we, we created Cook It Forward to be able to do that. We want to uplift and help maintain restaurant e ecosystems, um, both in uh, supporting those jobs and supporting all of the other um, suppliers and, and relationships that restaurants hold to the local economy, um, as well as help those who were uh, struggling uh, to get meals every day. And we wanted to do it in a way that really um, encompassed uh, um, equitable practices. And so when we partnered with Collaboration for Good here in Madison, we realized that it wasn't enough to just bring meals to one distribution site, right? Because folks also have... Um, barriers to access to those distribution sites, whether that be just lack of communication, uh, transit, mobility issues. Um, we needed to make sure that these foods were getting into the hands of people that needed it and, and that there were volunteers already working in so many communities and neighborhoods who knew who needed the meals, right? So we needed to be able to find a way to communicate with those um, mostly black, brown, women-led organizations. Um, and that's where Collaboration for Good really said, hey, if you want to make this project, you know, not just a pat on the back for bringing food to a pantry, we got to take this extra step. So Cook It Forward is not only uplifting, uplifting restaurants, but it's, it's providing a model that... Um, Make sure that that those helping their their communities already are being compensated for that work. That restaurants are getting help, and that um, we are helping to really um, meet uh, this unmet demand of of folks who need meals. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that's incredible. I mean, I, I think you're seeing this this thinking, you know, popping up across the country. You know, and, and World Kitchen has been the Central World Kitchen has been doing this work for quite a while. So, you know, they have the big reputation. Um, but it's been, it's been great to see, you know, this crop up in, in communities. Um, 
around, really around the Yeah, and we're learning so much about community food systems and now in talks with the city and the county about how to involve um, more like just government funding, private funding, and realizing that there's a way to help support jobs in the local economy to really figure out what the demand is for food insecurities right now and working alongside those who know that demand. You know, it's it's Mm -hmm. not just about, um, you know, providing providing meals and and that or making people come access them it's it's about recognizing that there are inequitable barriers that keep people from having access to basic needs like food and that needs to be met as well um and there are programs that have been around like this for a while ours ours just happens to incorporate restaurants Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and well and i think that that moving forward you know i think restaurants have become more educated on these, on these issues and knowing restaurants and the way that they work. Yeah. The more people know about that, the really the more power we have. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a, yeah. And it's, it's become a platform to also help our local farmers. And, and then Mm -hmm. farmers know that these meals are, are going to people who, who really wouldn't have access to them otherwise. And so they'll, they'll be generous and, and, and donate extra produce Mm -hmm. where we're also Mm -hmm. trying to help. We're also trying to kind of combat the the surplus food that's, that's, and, and food waste that's happening Mm -hmm. from the disruption in the supply chain. Right. And so Mm -hmm. folks are bringing us um, excess food and surplus food for us to work with to make these meals and that we can make sure that these meals are healthy. Um, a lot of times mm-hmm. folks in neighborhoods that don't have access to um, fresh produce in grocery stores um, also just need help being introduced to certain um, certain meals. And, and we also need to be cognizant that that, you know, that not every meal that we create, you can't like throw microgreens on this and expect folks to love it. Like we need to be right. really thinking about all the nuances and, and, and factors that, that come into play when it comes to fo- folks not having access to food. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited that this project is, is um, incorporating restaurants and, and, and like you said, making us think broadly about this issue and, and how we can yeah. really help um, fix it. Yeah, yeah. And, well, thank you, Francesca. Thank you for yes. the work that you are doing. Thank you for for speaking out and speaking up, and you know, represent. Like, thank you, thank you for taking this, taking this on, and I guess taking work that you feel strongly about to the next level. It has been, it's been inspiring for me to kind of watch, you know, um, just from afar. And um, thanks for coming and talking with us about it as well. So Thank you both so much for having me. A great episode and a great conversation. Um, and I'm not just saying that because for large portions of that conversation, my puppy Charlie was sitting adorably on my lap. Um, right. Well, that, that helped. That helped. Um, but no, really great conversation. And I think one that covers a lot of how we've, a lot of stuff we've wanted to talk about, I think, and have kind of circled around on this podcast about, you know, the politics of, the politics of things going on right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like little diversions that we've made that we haven't talked about in any, at any length. Um, yeah. But obviously, this defi- was a, definitely things. Yeah, a deeper that I've been dive. thinking about for months. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and yeah, it's, uh, I, I love I love what she's doing and how she's doing it, and um, it's all stuff that it's it's important to hear right now. You know, um, yeah. Have you ever thought about of. running for office, Lori? I have not. 
I have I've not. like had bre- not that I should. I mean, I, well, I shouldn't say <laughs> I have never thought of it. I have thought about it and promptly shut it down. <laughs> yeah, like I've definitely um, had thoughts of like, oh, what if I went to like Robin Voss's district and ran against Robin <laughs> Voss? And like, I'm like, yeah, but. I very quickly am like, hey, first of all, I'm a dummy. I'm a full-scale idiot. <laughs> and second of all, I I like where I live, so I I don't want to move. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's an interesting. I think it's really uh, inspiring on on a level to talk with someone who you know is seeing things um, that aren't mm-hmm. going well and is wanting to make a change in those departments especially yeah, in a yeah. in a in a, this, this in a district that sounds like it's like, pretty blue it's a pretty blue bri- district she said that she's in um so well, she, i mean she's in be, madison so you know i mean <laughs> not so unusual but um yeah <clears throat> but I, I definitely think like like to but to be a state representative on any level you know no matter where you are makes you part of a conversation that really yeah has an impact so um for sure yeah um speaking I'm, of things I'm that don't have an impact the will be. yeah speaking of things that Food have board? an impact or the opposite of that <laughs> uh well uh yeah sparkling water second which doesn't exist anymore uh but also <laughs> food porn Lori, we're gonna read food porn we are we are and how, i really how, really i've decided how, that, that the purpose of this is just a moment of of not having to really think too hard of anything okay. on it, you know, about anything how, that is. How much do you think you know, Francesca loves being a part of an episode where we just yelled, food porn, food porn? <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to think that I she think approves, she'd be into it. You know? I, I'm hoping she'd be into it. it. All right. So what what are we reading today, Lori? So so today we're going to read a little poem and, um, and it's by a woman named Alice, Alison Luderman. Um, and I found it today on Facebook and I don't know, it just, it spoke to me. It seemed nice. Um, it also (laughs) seemed interestingly and strangely applicable to COVID-19 and where we are now. Um, I don't know. You can tell me if you, if you agree, but it's, it's called, I confess. Ooh, Um, I'm intrigued. All right. Take the floor, Lori. I confess by Alison Luderman. I stalked her in the grocery store, her crown of snowy braids held in place by a great silver clip. Her erect bearing, radiating tenderness, the way she placed yogurt and avocados in her basket, beaming peace like the North Star. I wanted to ask... What aisle did you find your serenity in? Do you know how to be married for 50 years or how to live alone? Excuse me for interrupting, but you seem to possess some knowledge that makes the earth burn and turn on its axis. But we don't request such things from strangers nowadays. So I said, I love your hair. 
<laughs> I was yeah. waiting for there to be like a turn where it was like it wasn't a poem about a person. It was a poem about like a brand or something. And I was trying to figure <laughs> out like what has like yellow or like blondish <laughs> ribbons around it. And, I, and then I was like, oh no, this is very literal. It's about a woman Sorry. stalking another woman. <laughs> Literally in a grocery store. But I also, I, I don't know. I, 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 and it's probably a stretch to say it reminds me of COVID, but I think it does in the sense that, hey, we're, we're not in grocery stores to linger and talk to people and, you know. Um, it was nice. I went to a, a Costco yeah. recently where they have the mask mandate and it felt mm-hmm. pretty. It's amazing how much more comfortable you feel in places when people are wearing masks right now. Yeah. Like it's strange mm-hmm. to see, but you are like, okay, I feel safer here. I am surrounded by people who care, yeah. which is nice. Well, because ultimately you're, you're not, even if you're wearing a mask, if, if very few other people are, you're not safe. They're safer than you are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, because the whole point is like, I'm wearing this mask so that you don't get sick. And unless you're doing the same, you know, like we're not on the same, on the same level. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sorry. My, my, but I, my but puppy I do is feel just like too cute some, right now. He's just, the nice thing is, so is we're on a Zoom call. So you can see my puppy technically. He's just, I can see There him. he is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, he's got little. Away. Yeah, this is one of the this yeah. is one of the only few bonuses of doing these podcasts mm-hmm. virtually is you get to see my dog. Oh, and I get to see your cat. I also have little stretchy cats. Aww. I have one behind. I have one behind me oh, too. Look, you got. You, oh, I'm surrounded. Classic Lori Frederick. Uh, so. up, up, uh, outdoing <laughs> me. I come to the party with one cute dog. You show it with two cute cats. Fine, Oh, I Lori. didn't do that to outdo you. Ugh. I just have, you know, yeah. all my cats do in the day is just sleep. I mean, your dog is far more He's exciting, He's really so. not. He's really just been laying but. around with me all day. It's been a very productive day here at the, the yeah. Matt Miller offices. Yeah. Uh, hey, so. Lori, where can people find Food Crush? Hey, you can find, well, you found us. So congratulations. Um, but you can find us again. Um, we are on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and I would encourage you find us on Facebook, especially because, um, I don't know. We've been known to do little funny tasting videos and other kind of yeah, supplemental we do. content by the time this, that you might get a, that you might get a yeah, kick by out of. The time of. this episode yeah. is out, you, we have done a tasting of the Italian stallions at yes. State Fair. Have you had these mm-hmm. before, Lori? From the, I have. They made the number one. So we are going to taste the Italian Stallion, which is a Water Street Brewery um, creation that was at the. It was the number one thing I tasted last year, of like I don't know, like fifteen items at the state. And now fair. you're hoping to see if um, it holds up to the. Yeah, so I, so I want to taste it again when I haven't eaten fifteen other things all yeah, in one see day. If you, <laughs> see, make sure that you weren't just um, fair drunk. Yeah, just just fair drunk, which you, which happens a little, yeah. you know, when you my my one day of like incredible Gorging. like eating. Yeah, uh, Lauren, yeah. where can people find so your say, indulging in fair foods and just any foods in general? All of my all of my food. Um, yeah, so you can find me at Low Frederick. Um, it's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram again. Nice. And how about you? You can find me at a man about film on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but you might as well not bother with the third one. Um, 
And every week, every week you say I that. do, and every uh, week I do nothing to change it. It's not the same. So I, I it's probably pretty sad because I feel like the top photo on my Instagram right now is probably a photo of me and my now ex girlfriend. So I should really probably fix this. Well, maybe you could fix that, and then and then you know give yourself a refresh. Yeah, I'm just gonna take a bunch of photos maybe, of know. Charlie uh, while he's sleeping so, next to me. Do that. Yeah. Just, yeah. Start posting about Charlie on Instagram. I'd love that. Okay. Do oh right. Charlie heard that Charlie heard that he perked up, his ears are extra floppy now. He's like he, he did perk yeah, up. I can see like, him. I get to be famous uh-huh. now. Hey Charlie, you're famous. You're gonna be a famous puppy, Charlie. Tell your papa to make you famous. Did you call Charlie? me a papa? I did. That's the. I did. On that note, we're signing off. This has been Food All Crush, right. and as always, keep keep cooking, papas and mamas. And, and puppies and babies. Everyone, keep cooking. <laughs>